Welcome back, everyone. I'm Tony Brown, and you're listening to Firearms Cafe, the show where we discuss the philosophies of responsible firearms ownership, as well as the relevant issues and challenges that we face in the current gun culture. Hey, everybody. What is going on? Today is Friday. It's the 29th of June, 2018. I am in the mobile studio, and you may hear the AC going, but it is too hot to turn it off. I will drop dead. And you wouldn't want that to happen. You'd cry your little eyes out. All right. If you'd like to contact me, I'd have a couple of different ways that you can do so. You can use the voicemail, which is area code 206-745-2731. Or if you would rather send in an email or record your own audio, the place to send that is firearmscafe at protonmail.com. Over on the website, there are buttons for Facebook and YouTube and Twitter and Instagram. And if you were ever so inclined and you felt like you would want to support the show financially, located there as well is a PayPal donation button. Anything you send is going to be greatly appreciated. All right, let's jump in with the show. I'll make a promise to you. This will be the last time I talk about YouTube in full 30 unless we actually see some new developments, either good or bad. So a few days ago, I was watching a newly posted video from Tim at the Military Arms Channel. And during the course of that video, he was talking with Eric from Iraq Veteran 8888. And they were talking about the state of YouTube and kind of what's going on with Full 30. And one thing that Tim said was, well, very soon we're going to see thousands of more videos pop up over on Full 30. And this is a little bit of a paraphrase. And I thought, oh, that's great. Maybe he has some inside info or they've, they're letting him know what's going on. And then I thought, hmm, when was this video actually recorded? Not necessarily when was it posted, but when was it recorded? So even though I watched the video a few days ago and it had been posted new a few days ago, I thought if it's been six months, maybe this kind of coincides a little bit with the time of Full 30 saying reserve your channels and we got stuff coming soon. Now in Full 30's defense, who knows if they just do not have the infrastructure to match the maybe the level of response that they got or the level of interest that they got on putting videos over there. So we'll have to see on there. As far as YouTube goes, like I said in the past, I do think that we should keep putting firearms content up there and just make them make them take us off of their sort of kicking and screaming. So anyway, enough of that stuff. On a little bit more serious note and kind of a little bit more of a tragic note, there was a shooting where five people ended up losing their lives, and I believe it happened in Maryland. I don't have all the details. I think it was a newsroom, and the person that did the shooting had a grudge, so it wasn't just a random thing where he walked in off the street and and, uh, shot the place up. I think he had, at least in his twisted mind, he had a reason for going there. And it was funny, well, I shouldn't say funny, but it was odd that a few days ago I was thinking about, I haven't seen much of the kids from Florida, so the uh, David Hogg and his group. And I thought, well, maybe their 15 minutes of fame is over. And that the liberal left, and I guess more radicalized left, that 
basically seeks disarmament in America and tons of new regulation and, and new restrictions and confiscations and all that type of stuff, I thought, well, I guess these guys didn't accomplish the goals that they had set forth for them. And so now they're just going to be tossed aside or thrown on the trash heap with the rest of the other failed strategies that they've had. And it got me to thinking more about that it seems that they love the theatrics more than actually looking for a legitimate solution. And you and I know what the solution is, the solution to, especially if we look at school or if we look at just gun-free zones in general, I don't know if this particular newsroom was a gun-free zone. I would have to say that the likelihood for that is probably pretty high. But if I'm incorrect on that, uh, let me know. But again, the solution, especially if we look at schools, is it has to be common knowledge that if someone comes in there with the express purpose of murdering the students there or murdering the people there, that they will be met with armed resistance. And, and it's going to be anonymous armed resistance, meaning that the students there don't know which of the staff members, I guess we'll use, because it would include teachers, administrators, maintenance personnel, counselors, all that stuff. So any one of those people could be armed, and any one of those people could be trained in how to respond to someone who is coming in there with uh, murder as their intent. But it seems like that that's not really what the left wants. They don't want that solution. What they want is confiscation of guns. And I don't know why they think that once guns are confiscated, that that will somehow magically create a, a, a state where people don't wish harm on others and people won't act on those desires to harm others. So anyway, my condolences go out to the family of the victims and the friends of them. It was a horrible thing that happened. Uh, I cannot imagine having to deal with something like that. Okay, on a different subject, let's talk about our buddies at the ATF. It seems, from an article that I saw, and I guess it, you'd probably call it more of a blurb than an article, that the ATF is saying, hey, we need to hire some more guys. We need to have our computer system upgraded because our turnaround time for paperwork is terrible. But a lot of this stuff is sort of their own doing, I guess. They have been so overwhelmed by people who are buying suppressors, by people who are doing Form 1s, by people who are doing Form 4s and all this other stuff that they're saying we need to increase our budget by $13 million to do this stuff, to get us just up to speed. And that maybe doesn't sound like a lot as far as the governmental agency goes, but you have to remember once a bureaucracy gets an increase in money, it never lets it go. It, that stuff doesn't go back down. So that's going to be a hefty little price tag that we're all going to have to pay over the years. And I, I couldn't help but think, you know, there's a much simpler solution to this problem that you have. Just go ahead and say, work with Congress and, and, and 
get it pushed through, you know, get, get behind it and support it and say things like, you know what? Suppressors don't need to be on an, uh, on the NFA item list, nor do short barrel rifles. People should just be able to have those. It's, it is ridiculous that these things are on the list that we need to worry about. Very simple solution. Wouldn't cost any money. Would cost basically zero dollars. But I don't think they're going to do that. No bureaucracy ever gives money back if it's got money coming in, even if it's just a little trickle here and there. And of course, if you think about it, if they have been so overwhelmed, how many of those $200 tax stamps are going out? Probably tons and tons. So it, it probably represents a large uh, revenue stream for them that they don't want to give up. So anyway, I just thought that was interesting. All right, amigos, let's jump over and talk a little bit about the AR-9 pistol that I'm building. What we'll do is we'll go over the components, what I decided to go with, why I decided to go with those things, and then we will kind of return to ATF land and talk a little bit about what I think the proper interpretation of their policies and regulations are and what you need to do if you want to if you're going to do something like this type of build what you need to make sure that you're doing to be in full compliance with the law all right so the components i went with i did go with the eight and a half inch upper from foxtrot mike i like that over some of the other uppers that were out there i like the side charging handle i like some of the a lot of the stuff that i'd seen on it of course, I haven't shot it yet or anything like that. I don't have it all assembled, but once I do, I will give you guys a range report. I like the fact that you can move the charger from side to side. It's a little bit of work, but you can do it. And the upper, the uh, the rail on that is M-Lock. And then, they, of course, they have their own bolt, and their upper has a little, on the back of it, like a little wedge that is there to help sort of seal up if you're shooting suppressed. Main reason, oh, uh, before I jump in with that, they also have on the end a different type of muzzle device. I think they call it a diffuser, and I, I'm not 100% sure, and I think the idea of it is that it is designed to kind of funnel the gases forward as opposed to maybe like on a, a regular A2 flash hider where it, it shoots sort of up and out to the side. I th and I think the idea of it, it helps to... Uh, not only move the sound away from you, but also to maybe help you kind of shoot a little bit flatter, that type of thing. We'll have to see. As I mentioned before, I do plan to shoot this suppress, so I don't know if I will have maybe a tri-lug adapter or something like that, or maybe a taper mount that goes on and kind of lives on the gun when the, when the suppressor is not on there. I, I tend to think that I may go with a tri-lug adapter because then that way you just once you do that and kind of pop it on then that suppressor is sort of on there for good and you don't have to worry about it kind of unthreading itself anyway discussion maybe for another day so that's kind of it on the upper with the lower you basically are just using any standard AR type receiver as far as how am I going to get the nine millimeter ammo up into the gun I'd mentioned before that I was had ordered a, or was going to use the Stern Defense. I think it's the A AD9. I think that's their their numbers that they've given it. 
and that just that magwell adapter just goes into uh, your magwell where normally your AR15 mags would go and that will allow you to accept the uh, the Glock mags and it also gives you your last uh, your last round open so you know when the when the bolt goes back it'll hold it open for you with the receiver it's just an old receiver I had laying around so I'll use that with the the uh, SB tactical brace that came with the receiver tube so the only other thing I needed to buy was a um, AR was a nine millimeter buffer and I talked to the guys over in a, in a recoil spring or not a, or a, a buffer spring excuse me I talked to the guys over at Foxtrot Mike because I wanted to make sure I was using the stuff that they had kind of debugged and worked out and knew what worked well for them they got right back with me and said hey man you can use any 308 carbine length uh, receiver extension buffer spring and that'll that'll do you just fine so I got all that stuff ordered like I have I have yet to put all that stuff together I've still got to build out the lower the uh, the lower with the lower parts kit and all that other kind of thing and then once I get that going I'll be able to take it out to the range shoot it and do all that other kind of stuff and give you guys a report on it so before we talked about that we were going to need to go back to ATF land so let's kind of do that now again this is my interpretation of it and kind of my what I think they mean by it and what I think that you can do or what you need to do to stay within the law so first of all let's talk about the difference between a short barrel rifle, which is a NFA item, and you have to register with the ATF, as opposed to you're just building an AR-9 pistol. So if a thing is a rifle, there are certain things that you can do and certain things that you can't do. So if if you have bought, let's say, a, a Stag Arms off of at a, at a uh, at a gun store. And they sold it to you as a rifle, meaning it had a 16-inch barrel or longer, and it was sold to you as a rifle. Then that thing is always a rifle. You can't just take the upper off, take the stock off, and then put on a brace and say, well, this is now a pistol because it was originally sold to you as a rifle, so it needs to stay a rifle. If you want to put a shorter barrel upper on there, so anything under 16 inches, then that's when you would need to go the short-barreled rifle route. If, however, you bought a uh, a pistol, let's say from that same gun store, an AR or an AR-15 type pistol, so it either has a brace on it or it just has a pistol uh, extension tube on there. What you cannot do, well, let me say what you can do first. You can take off an upper from there and put on any length upper you want on on that pistol, and it is it will it will be forever considered a pistol. The only restriction that you have on the upper, let's say you put a 16-inch upper on there, it cannot have a vertical foregrip on there. However, if you wanted to put a 16 or a 20-inch barrel or a 22-inch barrel on that pistol, you could, and you would be within uh, within the law. 
You can also either have elect to have a pistol brace, a stabilizing brace, on there or not. You can have it just be the tube, and you're good to go. And it doesn't matter, again, what upper you put on there as long as it doesn't have a vertical foregrip. You can use an angled foregrip, or you can use like a little nub that's considered a hand stop type thing on that 16-inch or longer barrel if you wanted. Now, for the stuff that is less than 16 inches, on the pistol, you can go, you know, anything under 16 inches all the way back to, you know, 6 or however short you'd be, you, you would feel comfortable doing. Again, the same thing applies. You cannot have that vertical foregrip. You can have a hand stop, but not the vertical foregrip. You can have an angled one that I think Magpul makes that a lot of people use. And it basically is considered to be more of a hand stop. As far as being able, and, and so let's say you had bought that thing. So that you bought that as a pistol from the gun store. So that is considered to be a pistol unless you, I believe you could still short barrel rifle that thing with the ATF. And then at that point you could do whatever you want. You could put a stock on it. If you wanted to, you could keep a brace on it. If you wanted to, you could have a hand stop. If you wanted to, you could have a uh, vertical foregrip. You could put any length on there that you want. You can do 15 or uh, excuse me, 16 or 20 inch. You could do 14 inch, 12, 10, you know, whatever you're going to want to put eight and a half, all that type of stuff. If you go the short barrel rifle route. So let's go, well, let's stay with the short barrel rifle route. Let's say that you went that route. If you wanted to take that thing to a competition, let's say you lived in Arizona, you want to take it to a competition in Utah, you have to fill out certain paperwork to let the ATF know that this NFA item is going from state one to state two, that type of deal. With a pistol, either whether it's an AR-9 pistol or an AR-15 pistol, or an AK pistol, it doesn't matter. You do not have to fill that paperwork out. It is considered a pistol or a handgun. And so as long as it would be legal for you to have that in that state, you could go right up in there and take it up in there, no problem. Now here's where it gets a little tricky. Let's say that, like me, you have a couple of uh, AR lowers that are just laying around. And a lot of times they'll say that they're multi-caliber or they're multi-purpose or something like that on there. I think it just says multi-caliber on a bunch of them. It does not have a specific designation as to what this lower receiver is going to be. So it hasn't, in theory, and we'll use our in theory quotation marks here, it hasn't been born yet. So under the eyes of the law, it's sort of just... A firearm. It's just kind of out there. Once you say, oh, my intent is to build a pistol or my intent is to build a rifle with that lower receiver, then that's sort of what you need to stick with. So in theory, let's say that if you uh, had uh, an AR-15 that you had built, it had a 16-inch barrel on it, and you had had that for a few years, and then you decided, oh, you know what, I'm going to turn this into a pistol, so I'm just going to take the stock off, take the extension tube off, 
and use whatever came with this brace. And or, or I'll put a pistol thing, a, a pistol receiver extension tube on the back, and then just put a brace with it. And then I'll I'll just put a short barrel rifle, or I'll put a um, an upper on there that is less than 16 inches. From my understanding, and that would be a no-no because that lower receiver had been built into a rifle. So at that point, you're, you you couldn't do it. Um, and this, I know a lot of this stuff doesn't make sense, but that's what it seems that it is, that once you have assigned intent to that object, then that's what that object needs to be. And if you want to change that stuff, you... I don't think you can. Now, maybe I'm wrong and maybe I'm misunderstanding the thing with how they interpret that, meaning that maybe it's okay. I don't think it is. I don't. I, th- I think that would be a no-no, like I said. If you had an old rifle and you're just like, well, I'll take the stock off, I'll put a pistol brace on, and then I'll put this 10-inch barrel on it or a 10-inch upper on it, I don't think you can do that. I think that what you would have to have done was built that with the intent of it always being a pistol if you're going to go that pistol route. And again, like I said, maybe I'm wrong on that, maybe not. So that's basically what I'm going to do. Is I'm, I've, Like I said, I've got that receiver that's around, laying around. I'll go ahead and it will be born as a pistol. Maybe later on, who knows, I'll SBR it. Probably not, though, because I'll, I'll want to be able to have as much freedom with that thing as possible while still staying within the law. So let's talk about one other thing, and that is with the, and this will be specifically for the SB tactical line of pistol braces. And basically what the ATF ruling on that was is that if you shoulder that thing, you are not changing your pistol into a rifle and I know a lot of this stuff is confusing and it seems like well at one point they said if you shoulder a pistol brace it doesn't change it then they said no it it can be can uh you can be considered a manufacturer then and you're changing it and then another then when they kind of came out and, and finally clarified it what they said is no if you shoulder that thing you are not changing uh, this from a pistol into a rifle. It doesn't magically change. They were very specific, though, with... And again, this is my interpretation. They were very specific, though, and they mentioned the SB tactical line of braces. So I think if you were using a shockwave or something else, I don't know. Um, I think you would need to be sticking... Again, my interpretation, I think you would need to stick with the SB tactical line of braces in order to be in 100% in full compliance with the law. Again, I could be wrong. Maybe my interpretation of it is wrong. I don't know. A lot of this stuff is just clear as mud. So anyway, that's what I'm doing. Hopefully this hasn't left you 100% confused. If you think that I've muddied up the explanation or if you are of a different interpretation and you think, no, I think you're wrong on this. I think you need to do this, this, that, and the other thing. Uh, let me know. Go ahead and send in an email or a voicemail or something like that or, or do your own recording, send it in, and I'll go ahead and play it out on the show and we can have our discussion back and forth like that, I guess, a little bit.
So speaking of sending stuff in, I'd ask that Spencer give us a little bit of a range report on the Ruger PC carbine. And I'll go ahead and read that now. So Spencer writes in, hey, Tony, here's that update on the Ruger PC carbine you asked for. I think of this gun as a 9mm version of the 1022. Low cost, reliable, flexible, and reasonably accurate out of the box, with basically a lifetime warranty to boot. Think of a slightly oversized 1022 takedown, and you have the dimensions. Since it's a blowback gun, the bolt mass makes the gun a little heavier than you might expect, but it's still pretty light, just not the 1022 weight your mind gives it. Pretty much everything is ambidextrous. The charging handle can be swapped to either side as can the mag release. The bolt hold open and cross bolt safety are in front of the trigger guard, so that's technically ambi as well. It has built-in swing swivels front and rear and a small section of Picatinny rail on the front of the stock for a bipod. Takedown is just like with the 1022 and it doesn't seem to affect zero at all. Of course, the iron sights are both on the front half of the gun when you take it down, but I have a red dot on it, a vortex crossfire, that stays zeroed even though it's mounted on the back half of the rifle. The polymer stock is okay, but not great. It's got good grip surfaces, but it's a very plasticky feeling. The gun cries out for a Hogue overmolded stock, and since it only takes a couple of screws to remove the action, I'm guessing we'll see lots of aftermarket stocks in the future. Of course, the gun's main trick is being able to swap magazine types. To do that, you just take the gun down, remove the rear action, two screws, and swap the magwell adapter of your choice in. It comes with the Glock adapter and one for the SR series of pistols. You can get one for the Ruger American pistols for $30 on Ruger.com. So far, it's only available in one configuration, a 9mm takedown, but I'm expecting that to change once production ramps up. If you play around with the action a bit, you can see that the bolt face is easily removable. I don't know if they are planning in-user caliber conversions down the road, but at the least, they make it easy to manufacture PC carbines and other calibers from the factory this way. No reason you couldn't see one of these in 45 ACP or even 10mm down the road. I've probably got five to 600 rounds through it so far, and it's never hiccuped on anything I fed it, including some Russian stuff that makes Wolf and Tula look good. It's fed all the hollow points I've tried, although I tend to use polymer-tipped ammo for that, so I can't say for sure it will eat classic hollow points. I would be surprised if it balked, but I guess I need to buy some gold dots and try them out. It's threaded for standard half-inch by 28, 9mm suppressors, and ran my octane without any problems. Since it's fixed barrel, you should swap out the piston assembly on your can, though. It can simply be threaded onto the barrel directly. I didn't get a lot of gas blown back in my face with this gun, which is making it one of my favorite suppressor hosts. Overall, I really, really like this gun a lot. I think Ruger knocked it out of the park on this one, and we're seeing the start of a whole new product line, based on how well they seem to be selling. I also expect a pretty hefty third-party market to develop around these fairly quickly. You'll notice I don't have a section on things I don't like about the PC carving. That's because I really couldn't think of anything. I have one of the old Ruger police carbines and a Marlin Camp 9 in my collection. They are interesting guns, but neither one can hold a candle to the value and flexibility of the PC carbine. They work well as plinking and range guns, something to have in your trunk for emergencies, a bug out bag gun, or home defense carbine. Anything that can be done within 100 yards or so is fair game for this little carbine. 
This may sound like an ad, but while I am a big Ruger fan, it really has been that good of a carbine so far. Spencer. All right. Hey, man, thanks for sending that in. I really appreciate it. All good points. Uh, I am interested and anxious to give you sort of my range report on it, on uh, on my gun and, and kind of what I see as its pluses and minuses, but all super good points there. All right. Uh, one more quick thing, and I think we will draw the show to a close as I'm kind of running out of time here a little bit. But that has to do with the Supreme Court. Now, it looks like that Kennedy is going to be retiring here pretty quick. And, of course, the left is up in arms and they're pooping all over themselves about how they need to stop Trump from getting this Supreme Court nominee placed in there because they don't want a, in all likelihood, probably a, a more guy who's more conservative-leaning in there to replace Kennedy. Kennedy was seen as somebody who kind of was a swing voter, uh, and I think that they think that that is going to go away. For me, I would love to see Trump put somebody in there like Judge Napolitano. I'd love to see somebody who comes in maybe a little bit more libertarian. I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, but who knows? Maybe that might be a good compromise for both uh, in that the left would at least be able to say, or the, well, well, let's use the term Democrats. The Democrats would at least be able to say, hey, if we get somebody who is more libertarian leaning, at least some of the stuff that we support would have a chance. Uh, and, and of course, for somebody like me, you know, being libertarian, I know they're going to be pro-gun. And that's one of the bigger things that I am concerned with. I also know that they are going to be more pro-legalization of gun or at least or of uh, drugs or at least maybe um, decriminalization of it. Uh, and uh, that's something that we need to really look at is the drug policy in this country and what things are illegal and, and what actually constitute crime and all that kind of stuff. But again, that maybe is for a discussion at a later date. Even with all the hullabaloo that the left is raising about trying to stop Trump and getting his nomination through, he has got basically two more years to be in office. There's no way they're going to be able to stop him. Will Ginsburg survive? I don't know. I, I don't know how. I'm not wishing anything bad on her or anything like that, but she is. I, I want to say she's 84 or 86, something like that. I cannot remember which. I think she's 86. But, you know, pretty much once you're starting to get up in your 80s, every day that you're on the planet is a uh, is a gift. So I don't know. She may decide that it's just too much and may retire or, you know, she may pass away. So anyway, I think that will do it for today. So I'll give you that contact info one last time. Voicemail 206-745-2731. Firearmscafe at ProtonMail.com. All one word, Firearmscafe at ProtonMail to send your audio recordings or emails. Other than that, I look forward to hearing from you. Talk to you next time.